Well, we've got a number of people on our prayer ministry that have spent a long time pursuing the Lord and learning to live and pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. And according to the scriptures, God has apportioned different gifts to his different people within the church. And I fully believe that. And I'm grateful when I see the the body of Christ have the diversity of gifts there. And I bring that up because some of the folks in our prayer team have uh, an ability to discern things that are beyond the basic physical realm. And where I'm going with that is uh, to give you a testimony that in the last, over the last, let's say, six or so weeks, um, there have been a couple of Sundays where people have seen angels in the midst of worship, in this physical space. Um, One time they were standing at the corners, kind of by the doors. Another time they were behind the pulpit. One of those Sundays, when they told me that, um, I actually... It it brought tears to my eyes because I felt that presence. I was aware something was happening, but I didn't see it. But I was aware that something was going on in the spiritual realm that was different than, for whatever reason, was different than a typical Sunday from my subjective experience of it. And I, I bring that to our attention this morning because it's so easy for us to miss the spiritual realities because we're caught up just in the physical world. To quote a movie that I really like, The Matrix, It's the world that's been pulled over our eyes, and it blinds us. We don't see the spiritual realities. We're not walking in an awareness of God's kingdom in our midst quite often, and we're tempted to become skeptical, to become skeptical of the promises of Scripture, of the Lord, this abundant life that Jesus promises for us, of the possibility of experiencing his kingdom's power now, here. Not when we die and go to heaven, but now, in this life. And to see the Lord moving. And we're tempted then to just settle for the best the physical world can offer. And when we do that, we start to live like the rest of our neighbors that are not Christians. And we miss out on a huge opportunity. Now, my, my main proposition this morning is this. That Jesus pierces the darkness of the skeptic by inviting us into a new life of the Spirit. So Jesus pierces the darkness of the skeptic by inviting us into the new life in the spirit. If you want to turn in a Bible to John chapter 3, my text is that gospel reading, which is a very familiar account. In fact, dangerously so. We just read the most famous Bible verse ever this morning, John three sixteen. You know it. You probably know the Nicodemus account that precedes it where the Pharisee comes at night to talk to Jesus and he says you have to be born again. It's where Christianity has been, um, it's picked up that term born again Christians. And um, there's danger in knowing the scriptures so well that the familiarity of it can make us miss the impact and the significance of what Jesus is doing here. So this morning, if you actually have never read this account, I sort of envy you. I really do, because it's like one of those really great movies or great novels. Once you've read it once, you can never have the experience of that first time going through the account or watching the, watching the movie, right? And we, like, I wish I could go back and read certain books again for the first time with those fresh eyes. But I am grateful also to have the familiarity of the scripture, so we, we have to move on to that. But this morning, I'd like to look at this passage and recognize that it is inviting us to a new life, but it's also warning us against resisting that new life. And so there's an invitation here and a warning. I'd like to look at this passage under the phrase, we know. 
it's kind of bookended in there. Verse 2 and verse 11 both say we know. Nicodemus says we know, and then Jesus says we know. And they're speaking from two totally different perspectives. And they are both speaking on behalf of their respective faith communities. So when Nicodemus says we know, he's speaking as a Pharisee. We the Pharisees know. And they've come to an important conclusion. We know, Rabbi, that you are sent from God, for no one can do the signs that you are doing unless God was with him. That's right. That's correct. That's true. They have made a correct deduction there. They've watched Jesus do one miracle after another, cast out demons, heal people, and they've come to the conclusion that this is impossible apart from the power of God. Therefore, Jesus, this rabbi, must be sent by God. The problem is they're not ready to embrace the implications of that. If he is, in fact, come from God and has the power of God, then what he says is going to require change on your part. And the Pharisees are not ready for that. It is a, it's going to be a big systematic change, and they are caught in a pattern. Their life, their system is not easily going to be changed, which is why Nicodemus has to sneak there under the cover of darkness, because the minute they find out that he's actually starting to listen to this man sent from God, his, his world is about to change. And so he's not sure he wants to change. I want, I want to note something about this. Jesus welcomes skeptics. He really does. He welcomes skeptics. He never turns us away when we go seeking answers. And I was going to, originally when I started working on this sermon, I was going to say sincere seekers. But you know, the truth of the matter is, even the insincere ones he welcomes. The people that were trying to trick him, he welcomed them. They came, they sent people from their group to go and try and trip Jesus up so that he could get caught in his words and they'd have a reason to condemn him. And you know what he did? He received them anyway. And then he gave them the wisdom that he had as the son of God. And of course, refuted their traps and he, he, he wasn't able to be trapped because he's the son of God. But he still received them even knowing their intentions. So the Lord is just so gracious to us constantly. So what happens here is this Pharisee comes under the cover of darkness and Jesus doesn't condemn him for it. He receives him. But he doesn't just keep it on the, the superficial level. Jesus pulls it up to the spiritual level where the kingdom of God is at work. That's why I started with the illustration from angels. Jesus is calling us up to the kingdom of God. There is something else at play in this world than just the physical realm that we see. There is more at stake, and there's more of an opportunity for us. So we know that you're sent from God, but then he's kind of stuck there. And so Jesus says, he's, actually Jesus' response three times, he says, truly, truly. So he's about to say something really important. Truly, truly, amen, amen, verily, verily. Th listen to this, basically. He's saying, listen to this. This is really important. Truly, truly, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of, of heaven. Can't even see it. You, you don't even know what you're missing. You are spiritually dead and you cannot see it. And I will give a testimony to that, that before I became a Christian, I didn't know what I didn't know. I was totally blind to it. And I was from a church family. I mean, we went to church every Sunday and I did my duty. I went with my family because that's what we did. And it was like the world's been pulled over my eyes. I could not see any of it. It was just basic religion. And I was doing it because that's what I, we did in my family. I couldn't see it. I was spiritually dead and I didn't even know it. And anyone in here who's become spiritually alive, you look back and you recognize that's true. You didn't know you were dead until you became alive. And then he goes on and he says something even further. He, once again, he says, he says another thing. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born of water and the spirit, you can't enter the kingdom. You can't go into it 
in your physical strength. This, this, is a, this is a work of the Holy Spirit. It is spiritually discerned. It is empowered by the Spirit. You have to be born of water, which could mean physical birth or baptism. It might actually be intentionally ambiguous because both would apply. You have a physical birth, and then you have the sacrament of baptism. It's the Holy Spirit then. You have to be born of both water and the Spirit. So the Spirit of God comes into a person when he or she is made alive, made new, born again, to use that term. So we become alive now, and we're able to start to discern that there's more going on. And then he says a third time, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. We, you, you Pharisees are saying what you know. We know, we know, we know. Well, Jesus and his apostles, his disciples, let me tell you what we know. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. I've told you of earthly things and you don't understand. He's talking about when he referred to the wind. The work of God, the Holy Spirit of God. By the way, that word, wind and spirit, are the exact same in the Greek. So you could translate it, the wind or the spirit. But the wind, I think in this case, it's right. He's talking about the wind blowing. Um, With the exception of modern science and the meteorology, back then, they didn't know anything. They could not predict where the wind was coming from, where it was going. Of course, now we can, but things are different. But even, even still, we can't control it. And so we can see its effects. And Jesus is using that as a metaphor for the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, they, they couldn't predict it. They don't understand. And he, he, he goes, how can this be? He's just so confused. He's thinking down here on the physical realm, and Jesus is saying, come up to the spiritual level where the kingdom of God is. We speak of what we know. We've seen this. Jesus is saying, no one's come from heaven except the Son of Man. In other words, I've been there. I've been on the other side. I know what I'm talking about, and here I come bearing witness to you, and you're not receiving it. You're still down here in the physical world. Come into the kingdom. Come in and experience this. And he's he is then inviting him to consider something from what the Pharisees would all know, the account of Moses and the serpents in the wilderness. So God's people grumbled against the Lord, and in judgment, God sent snakes, poisonous snakes, into the camp, and they bit a ton of the Israelites, thousands of them, poisonous, life-threatening bites. And then, though, to provide a gracious way for them to be healed, he told Moses, fashion a, a bronze serpent and hold it up on a stick. And if anyone from Israel comes and looks at that serpent, then that person will be healed. And then Jesus takes that and he points to how he fulfills that. He says, as the serpent, as Moses, and this is in verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now it's right here that we in the evangelical world, in the, in the Bible preaching and faithful churches, miss something huge. When you hear eternal life, do you think kingdom now? Or do you think when I die, I go to heaven? So oftentimes we think, he's talking about when I die, I can go to heaven. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying eternal life. And he's speaking of a life that can happen now. In John's gospel, this is all the way through. I did a, you know, thank, I'm, I'm grateful for computers because you can do all sorts of searches. So I punched in the word life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it popped up 88 times. 48 of those were in John's gospel alone. So John's gospel 
half of the references of all four of the Gospels is right here. Life, this new kind of life is so important. And it's not just when you die, you go to heaven. It's when you, when you are made alive, when you were born again, a new kind of life starts here where you start to live that eternal life now. You enter into the kingdom of God and become one of the subjects of this king. And then where you go, the kingdom of God can break in with you. You can be an instrument for that. In fact, that's his intention. To help, to help get a, a different read on this, I went into Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Gospels. He's, he's the pastor that translated, uh, you can't call it a translation, it's actually a paraphrase. So he tried, it's called the message. He tried to take the Bible and put it into very common sort of street level language. So it's not a word for word translation, it's more of an interpretation. And I, I went through in the message and looked up everywhere the word life occurred. And I just want to read four of a whole bunch of these passages to you. This is Jesus speaking in this first one. He says, uh, this, is, this is if Jesus was here today, this might be how he would speak. It's urgent that you listen carefully to this. Anyone here who believes that what I am saying right now and aligns himself with the Father, who has in fact put me in charge, has at this very moment the real lasting life and is no longer condemned to be an outsider. This person has taken a giant step from the world of the dead to the world of the living. That's John 5, 24. Let me jump down to John 10, 10. Jesus says, a thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy, but I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. I think that really catches what I'm going for here. Not when you die and go to heaven. Now. A more, more life, a better life. Now. Here and now. John 12. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life just as it is destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever. Real and eternal. And then one last one from John 20. These signs are written down so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And in the act of believing, have real and eternal life in the way he personally revealed it. I really like that because it says in the act of believing. See, the problem is we tend to keep belief above the shoulders. I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I do. I totally believe he died on the cross. I believe that was a real historical fact. I believe on the third day he rose to new life. He ascended to the father and he is alive today. I believe that. But the act of believing means, then am I aligning my life with that truth? All the things that I do, do they fit as kingdom things? Or am I up here believing that's true, but then down here living just like everybody else? My, my, my life looks just as secular as my neighbors that don't know the Lord. The invitation is there for something so much more. This new life is for now. And it's it's really a powerful thing. We can experience God's kingdom now. We're not so different from Nicodemus. He said, we know that you're a teacher come from God, but then he was reluctant to embrace the implications of that for how he lives and what he does. But even as we do live this life, we know there's got to be more. To quote from, I mean, that's the ad for the alpha thing. There's, there's got to be more to life than this. We suspect that as we live like our secular neighbors and our non-believing friends and we pursue the things they pursue, they come up flat and we start to sense it. And we think, 
Jesus died for this. There's got to be more to this. There's more to this life, this spirit-filled life. What does it look like? How do I get there? Now, in an encouraging word, Nicodemus moves in the right direction. He's only in the Bible three times, and it's all in John's gospel. So here, he comes at night, asks questions of Jesus. Jesus provokes him to think about being born again, to think about what it would look like to live in the power of the Spirit. And then, a little bit later, he's with his group of Pharisees, and they are condemning Jesus. And he actually speaks up. Bold, it's pretty bold. He speaks up, and he says, now, wait a minute. Does our law condemn a man without at least giving him a hearing? And then, of course, they curse him for it and they, you know, talk him down. But he's now starting to align his thinking and now his words with Jesus in the kingdom of God. And then there's a third time, which is part of the passion in Holy Week. When Jesus dies on the cross, a a rich man named Joseph of Arimathea, who also was a religious leader, and Nicodemus are the two that take the body down and they provide for a very expensive and dignified burial for Jesus. He now is publicly serving Jesus in a moment when everybody's scattering from him. So Nicodemus is moving from thinking just worldly to alignment with the kingdom of God. And we don't know what happens. We don't know beyond that. But we've got that little bit, and it points us to how his, his activities, his words, and his behaviors are starting to line up with the kingdom of God. Now it's Lent, and this is a natural time for us to reflect on our lives and ask questions. The question I'm asking is, How much do my actual words, thoughts, and deeds line up with what I say in my head I believe to be true about Jesus, that he is alive, that his spirit dwells within me, that his kingdom has come and is breaking into this world? So I was thinking, how how can I filter this? What, What kind of a filter could I put over all that I do that would help test it? Well, I went to the vision that we've been using as a church for the last, I don't know, four or five years. In fact, Rusty, if you'll put that up on the screen, it's okay if you can't see the words from back there. You've probably seen the image. It's in our connection guides from the last two times. It's on our website. It's hanging up in the staff conference room. Um, It's a football field picture, and on both end zones, it shows things that are an end in themselves. On the top, it's the Great Commission, Go and Make Disciples. And on the bottom are the four central ministries. And I would like to use these four central ministries as a filter for us to consider all that we say, do, and think. Worship, belonging, mercy, and mission. Those are the four things. And if you need to think in terms of shapes so that you remember something from this sermon, think triangle. Up, in, and out. The three dimensions of the kingdom of God. Up is our relationship to God. In is our relationship to the community of which we are a part. And then out is our service to the world and our witness to the world. So there are four things because out goes in mercy and mission. So mercy is simply serving those in need. That is a good and righteous end in itself, to simply care for those who are in need. Mission is telling God's story. We're witnesses in this world. We know the big story, we know how it ends, and we know where we fit in it. That gives us something to offer to the world to tell them the story. It's good news. Worship, what we're doing now, and not just in church, but everywhere, is expressing love and devotion for God. There are tons of ways that we can do that. And then belonging is knowing and loving one another. So we can be intentional about ways to love one another. And when I say one another, I'm talking about Christians, the church. It's the church being the church. Now, back up for a minute. Take a look at your weekly calendar and ask yourself, how many of the things that I do in some, somewhat directly, let's say, support those four things. Expressing love for God, knowing and loving 
other Christians, serving those in need in the world, and telling God's story. And I might suggest that if you're doing things that don't lead to that, stop. Stop doing those things. Find something else that would be more of God's kingdom. Now, motives, of course, are everything. So I'm not saying quit your job. You can, you can, your job can be a, an act of worship. Whatever you do, make widgets. You're making widgets. You can, in fact, do that as an act of worship to God, where you go to work thinking, God, I'm working as a laborer unto you. I make this widget for your glory, whatever it is that you do. So motivation in your heart is really what matters here. So this, this filter could be a useful tool for us. And what I'm, this is my, this is my thesis, and I'd like for you to, te- my hypothesis, and I'd like for us as a church to test this out. Start aligning with those four things. Start doing whatever you do. Start doing it for that end. And I'm believing that the Holy Spirit is going to start to transform not just you, but those around you. You're going to start to see God's kingdom break in. The physical world that's been pulled over your eyes will be lifted back, and you will start to see things from God's perspective. You will see life transformation. You will see people responding. You will hear from the Lord. You will start to really have a, a cooperative friendship with God. I'd like to give, just in closing, I'd like to give a, uh, two, an example, two examples from one group. This is from a book called Christianity Beyond Belief, written by one of the Anglican bishops. He's out on the West Coast. I'm reading it because I'm going out there for a conference in May to see him um, and a bunch of other people who are asking the question of how does Christianity go beyond belief up here into real life living. And, and in here, a woman sends him an email. His name's Todd Hunter. He's the bishop. Um, a, a woman sends him an email sort of surprised when she starts to live her life in service of others with cooperation with asking the Holy Spirit, how can I serve? And then she goes and does, she actually does something. She prays and hears and then acts on it. And this is what happens. She says in the email, Todd, we had our first meeting. She's in a group of three people that decided to do this. Todd, we had our first meeting this week and it went great. We're reading a book on spiritual warfare together as we decided that this type of a group might come under attack. I think it will. Two quick examples of how we are being quickened by the Spirit in serving others. One, uh, in California, they have fires. It says, as you have seen on the news, we recently had a fire in the foothills nearby. A lady in our group felt prompted by the Spirit to call the families in the immediate area and check up on them and offer any help we could with their kids. All three families we called were very surprised that we took the time to call them, and they were very grateful. One family actually said that we were the only people who called and they were evacuating their home. What a small way to show love and caring. Second, I, I don't know what this woman's job is, but she says, I, I then went to see one of my students. I was having the best time listening to the teacher guide the students through a lesson. When there was a small break before she started her next lesson, I felt like, here's, here's responding to the Holy Spirit, I felt like I was supposed to let her know how much I enjoyed watching her with the students. She's not a teacher I'm close with, as I spend most of my time with the case managers and the teaching assistants. So I don't really have any type of relationship with her. I just walked up to her and I said, I don't know if people tell you this enough, but you're a phenomenal teacher. I work with dozens of teachers a year, and I love to watch you teach. These kids are very lucky. She teared up, gave me a hug, and said, you don't know how bad I needed to hear that right now. I have a lot going on, and I think God sent you to me today to tell me that. She said, 
I just said, well, he does work in mysterious ways. And she went back to teach. Todd, is this a taste of what is to come? Good grief, what a nice validation from God. I'll talk to you soon. She was surprised that the kingdom of God broke in and people recognized God in the midst of her simply being kind. But she was, she was trying to be a kingdom person. She was listening to the Holy Spirit and then acting on it. And then she experienced God's validation. Again, my hypothesis. Live this life intentionally, this new spirit-filled life. It's not about when you die and go to heaven. Jesus is piercing through the skepticism and the cynicism and the dashed expectations by inviting us into a new spirit-filled life. Let's be bold. Let's think about what we do and say and think and try to align it with what we know is true about God. And I'm trusting that we're going to experience similar things when we do this. Let's be that kind of a, a Christian. Let's be that kind of a church. And let's expect and pray boldly and expect his kingdom to come and his will be done. Let's do that right now. Lord, we hold up before you our lives. We acknowledge that quite often we are not in alignment. Lord, would you help us with this? We welcome you. We invite your spirit to come, to give us this new life, to teach us how to live. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.